Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Adam. If you're new, welcome to First Free Church. I'm one of the pastors here and glad you're here to celebrate, um, well, like we do here every Sunday, our, our Lord and Savior, but especially this week, his birth. It's an exciting time for us. I love the Christmas season. How many of you love the Christmas season? You just, this is awesome. This is great. It feels like there's so much lead up to it and build up to it. And then later on this week, it's going to be gone. And wow, it just happened so quickly. It just, I don't know why, but this year it feels like it's just moving along faster than normal for some reason. And it is an awesome time. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful time of getting together with friends and family and exchanging gifts and, and remembering what Christ did for us. And, and there's that song that I'm sure you're familiar with. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And it is a wonderful time of the year. It really is. But the reality is that, that for some of us, it's not a wonderful time. For some of us, it's a really challenging time. Especially if you've lost a loved one around this time of year, it can be difficult. Or even if it was some other time during the year, maybe you had some special things that you did together around Christmas. And it's just, it can be a lonely time. It can be a discouraging time. And then there are other things that come up as well. There's, there's bad news that, that can come up. There are some of you that are struggling in a lot of different ways right now. Um, and, and I also want to acknowledge the fact that we've got a lot of people watching online right now. So hello to all of you. But also with, with everything going on in the world today, there's just a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future. And with the Omicron variant that's out there now, there's all sorts of different things happening with that. And, and uh, countries entering lockdown and, and lots of different decisions going on by different uh, states and cities and school districts and all of that. There's just so much uncertainty in the world today. And then there's your personal life, and there's family, and there's friends, and there's jobs, and there's all sorts of difficulties that we face. And even though this is a wonderful time of the year, it's great, we don't want to ignore the fact that it can also be a very painful time of the year and a time of great challenge and struggle for us. You may have kind of noticed that as a theme already this morning, and that was not intentional. It just sort of came together. It was a God thing that we're going to be talking about trusting God in difficult times, It's not the normal way to start a Christmas message, I know, but as I was studying this week about the life of Mary and Joseph, I realized that these two people give us some incredible examples of how we can relate to God in the middle of really difficult circumstances. So I want you to just think for a moment as we get started here, think for yourself, when is a time that you have had difficulty in trusting God? I think that Even the most spiritually mature person would have to admit there have been times in our lives where you have struggled with trusting in God. Maybe it's trusting that there is a God. Maybe it's trusting that he is good. Maybe it's trusting that he's watching out for you. Maybe it's struggling with bitterness over something that you think he has done to you or allowed happen to you or didn't allow happen to you. But all of us, I think, at different times have struggled with trusting in God. And it's especially hard in difficult circumstances. When the unexpected happens, when we are surprised by something that we didn't see coming, and then all of a sudden our faith is rocked and we find ourselves struggling with trusting in God. Maybe it's because a parent has been diagnosed with cancer, or a child is sick, or a child passes away, or a, a friend betrays us, or a relationship goes sour, or we lose a job. There's all sorts of reasons why we might find ourselves in a position where we're just struggling to trust in God in the middle of great uncertainty. And that's what I think we can learn about from Mary and Joseph today. We've called this series The Arrival, 
And it's really all about the arrival or the advent of Jesus Christ, of course. But as a part of this, last week, Kevin looked at the star. This week, I'm going to look at the parents. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the baby. So that's the sequence that we're taking here, the star, the parents, and the baby. And today, we're going to talk about Mary and Joseph and what can we learn about these two people. Two people who had no intention of being famous, I don't think. I'll bet they had every intention of just living a normal, modest life, a nice but modest life. They certainly did not expect that over 2,000 years later, we would be talking about them. We would know intimate details about their lives, about their marriage, about the circumstances leading up to their marriage, all of this stuff. Who would have thought that a couple millennia later we'd be talking about these two people? But these two young people, probably both in their teens at the time this all happened, had their lives just turned upside down by radical news that would change their lives forever. And they give us an example for us to follow today. I wanna to look at Mary and I wanna look at Joseph. And we're gonna start with Mary and Luke. Luke gives us Mary's story. So you can turn to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Matthew gives us Joseph's story. So it's nice to have both accounts. You kind of get Mary's perspective, you get Joseph's perspective, and that's how we're gonna look at this. Mary was the first to figure out something miraculous was going on, which makes sense, and Joseph found out later. So we're gonna follow that sequence, starting in Luke chapter one, and in verse 26, we'll read together. Luke says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. The Bible gives us this picture of Mary as someone who, upon seeing an angel right in front of her, was confused and disturbed. And I think, I think all of us would probably be in the same boat. If an angel suddenly appeared in front of us, we wouldn't know what to think. And the angel says to her, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And I'm sure the question on her mind had to be, with me for what? Where are we going with this here? I mean, is this what people see before they die? Like, what's, what's happening with this angel here? And certainly she must have been afraid. The angel told her not to be afraid. And then gave her this incredible news. Your son will be a great ruler. He will be a king who will reign over Israel. His kingdom will never end. It'll go on forever and ever. Now, at this point, I don't know exactly what Mary was thinking, but I have to imagine, since she was betrothed to Joseph, and it was already stated that Joseph was a descendant of King David, perhaps she thought to herself, well, maybe eventually Joseph and I will have a son, and that son will grow up and will be a king. And that's, that's wonderful news. What a great prophecy. But that's not how this is going to happen. 
because the angel tells her this baby will come from God himself. And it's a shocking revelation. What radical news. Could you imagine more, a more crazy announcement for any young woman to experience? And we shouldn't gloss over this fact. Sometimes we get so used to the Christmas story, we know these characters, and we know the figurines, and we know what happens. We get so used to it that we, we miss out on the gravity of the situation and even the tension that they experienced in these moments. Imagine the fear of receiving this news and all the questions, all the things that, that you don't know that you're thinking about. I mean, Mary, hearing that she would have this son who would grow up to be king, what was going through her mind in those moments? They had to be just a million thoughts and a million questions. What would he look like? If this is going to be the son of God, will he just glow? Will there be something different about him? Will it be a different color? Like, what's, what's going to happen with this? Will he just be the perfect little boy that never gives us any trouble, never gives us any reason to worry? When will he become king? What will that look like? And I, I, don't, I don't know, but if I were Mary and, and was told that I would be giving birth to the son of God, I, I, I would think maybe she would wonder, is that, does that mean the delivery's not going to hurt at all? Like, shouldn't there be some perks as a part of this? <laughs> a million questions must have been going through her mind. But what was Mary's answer? I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. What an incredible response of faith, isn't it? And it's recorded for us for a reason. To show that Mary was the kind of woman who was willing to trust God with what she didn't understand. There was a lot at this point that Mary did not know. There were gaps in her understanding. She didn't feel like she had to know everything if God was the one with the plan. Now let's put this in context because this is really the first revelation or one of the first bits of revelation that's happening after 400 years of silence. 400 years where God did not really interact with his people much as far as we know. 400 years where there was no new revelation from God, no new scripture. Yeah, there were prophecies in the Old Testament, like in Ezekiel, about the fact that one day God would come like a shepherd looking for his lost sheep. But then there was just 400 years of seemingly nothing. And after all that time, in that gap of uncertainty, here is God stepping in once again and fulfilling his promise. I'm sure there have been times in your life where you felt like you were in a spiritual drought. Like it had been a while since you had heard from God. Like you had this close relationship and, and then it feels for a while like, man, where is he in my life right now? I just don't feel close to him. And one thing we can learn from Mary's story here is that even after 400 years where it didn't seem like there was a closeness between God and his people, he was still there, he still cared about them, and he would still deliver on his promises. And also, even after 400 years, there were still people like Mary and others who believed in God and trusted him and would follow him and obey him, even though there were gaps in their understanding. So here's Mary, young Mary, who believes what the angel tells her. And then the next thing she does is she heads off to see the one person the angel mentioned, Elizabeth, her relative, who is much older who was thought to be barren, could not have a child, and now, miraculously, she is also pregnant. It's not a, a virgin conception, but she wasn't supposed to be able to have children, and now she is going to have a baby. And so if you continue in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, we read a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, 
to the town where Zechariah lived. That's her husband. That's Elizabeth's husband. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Now, I've read through this passage probably hundreds of times before. And one statement really stood out at me this week in particular. It's the last line there. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Mary was not entirely forced into this. She was a willing participant. She said, I am your servant. May it be as you have said. And Elizabeth acknowledges, you are blessed because you believed what the Lord has said. Here's the thing. When Mary got this crazy, shocking, life turned upside down kind of news, she didn't say, uh, not me. I'm not interested in that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. This sounds crazy. This sounds terrible. This sounds like it's going to completely change my life. I've got this great plan in front of me. I've got all these plans worked out for my future. I don't want God messing them up. No, she said, hey, here's my life. Do with it what you will. Even though there is so much uncertainty, gaps and all, I am all in. She was fully committed to following Jesus, even with all of the uncertainty. And I'm sure a lot of it didn't make sense to her. And she might have picked up on the fact that this may be a very challenging life to be in this role as the mother of God's son born into this world with a million unanswered questions. But she believed what God said to her, that he would keep his promises and she would follow and trust in him. So Elizabeth picks up on this and praises her as the Holy Spirit came upon her. So these are really words that ultimately come from God to say, you are blessed because you believe what the Lord said. What an amazing acknowledgement to have, affirmation to have in the middle of what was still a very uncertain time for Mary. And then Mary shares with Elizabeth this incredible song of praise. It's called the Magnificat. And it is her song of praise to God in, in the middle of this time. It's really, really interesting um, I don't know if Mary had been working on this maybe since the angel visited her because it's, it's well-crafted. It's a very beautiful piece of poetry. Or, or we don't even necessarily know for sure like how much time she had been working on this or if this was just a spontaneous thing that came to her inspired by God in that moment. We, we really don't know. But it's an incredible psalm that she gives. And I want to share it with you. Um, but, I, but I also want to note that the, the Chosen series did a beautiful job portraying Mary's Magnificat in their Christmas special. A lot of you were able to watch this in the Activity Center last week. We had a screening here, and it was a beautiful, beautiful episode, Christmas episode that they did with a lot of music around it as well. And I don't know if you've ever watched the Chosen series, but um, we absolutely love it. The first couple of episodes, it was a little, little uh, slow, and I found myself going, okay, all right, am I going to keep watching this or not? And, and eventually, once you got to episode three or four, it's like, okay, I'm starting to get into this. This is picking up now. And man, now we're just hooked. It is a fantastic series. If you are new to Christianity, there'll be a lot of things in it that you'll go, huh, I'm not quite so sure what that means, because it doesn't just spoon feed everything to you, but you'll learn a lot. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you will just be absolutely amazed 
by the accuracy and the level of detail in this series. As someone who has spent uh, many years studying the history and the context of the world that Jesus came in and the, that time period, I am just blown away by how accurate everything is and all the little touches that just make you think, wow, that, that's really cool that they put that in there. That is special. I've never seen anybody acknowledge that fact before, but that's exactly right. So it's, it's really cool. It's, it's, a, it's a narrative story. It's not entirely, they, they fill in the gaps for you, um, but I highly recommend that you watch this if you haven't already. The Chosen uh, series and, and the Christmas special is excellent. You can watch at thechosen.tv or through the Chosen app. Um, but the reason I'm sharing this is because I reached out to The Chosen this week and said, hey, is there any way that I could show that portion um, in the message this Sunday? Because it is just so beautifully done. Mary is recalling the birth of Jesus, and she's also reciting the Magnificat, this song that she shared with Elizabeth to Mary Magdalene in this. We don't know if she shared it to Mary Magdalene like this. This is part of the artistic license that's taken. We do suspect that somehow Mary shared probably with one of the ladies, Mary Magdalene or Joanna or someone like that, her song, and then they got it to Luke. And so the, the way the chosen and portrays this is very, very plausible and well done. Uh, but I want you to have a, a chance to see this. So here is Mary's song, known as the Magnificat, as portrayed by the Chosen. When I went to see my cousin Elizabeth when she was pregnant with John, she cried out when she saw me. I told Luke about this, how she was overwhelmed for the both of us. And she called me the mother of her Lord. And we were laughing and crying together. And it was all too much. And words of praise just burst out of me. Please tell me I'm about to hear them. You're going to write them down and deliver them to Luke. The materials are here. I trust you to get them right and to keep it safe and to get it to look. I've kept it all to myself. As you know, I like to treasure things in my heart. <laughs> I was shy and it felt personal between God and me but I wish I would have shared it with Joseph and people must know these felt like God's words as much as my own I can't explain it but they did and people must know
mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. did a great job with that. And it really depicts um, the, the, the realness of this story, how this, these events really happened. And Mary really did have this incredibly uncertain time where she was staying with Elizabeth. She was there for three months after she shared this song of praise. She was there for three months. And I'm sure she had to be wondering, what is going to happen next? What is this going to look like? There's so much uncertainty in front of her. I mean, the signs of her pregnancy were obviously there, and Elizabeth recognized it, and Elizabeth had this miraculous pregnancy as well. So there was something up here. There was something going on. But at the same time, she had to be wondering, how is Joseph going to react to this when I get back? What is he going to say? Am I going to lose this marriage that has been promised to me? Because according to the law, that's what rightfully would happen. But how is he going to respond to this? Wouldn't he reject her for appearing to be unfaithful? And then what's going to happen? Would she ever be able to get married? Would she have to raise this baby alone? How would she provide for herself and this baby? Those questions had to be swirling around in her mind. The Bible says that she pondered everything in her heart. She was a deep thinker. And in the middle of all of this uncertainty, she, she gives this beautiful song that we can learn a lot from. I want to point out three things that we can learn that Mary believed. Three things we get from the Magnificat, from this song. The first one is that Mary believed that God should be praised even in times of uncertainty. God should be praised even in times of uncertainty. Here she is, a pregnant virgin, so many questions, but she's praising God. In fact, it's the first thing she does. It's the first part of her song. It's to praise God. What's the first part of our song when we face difficult times or uncertain situations, when we don't know about the future? The first part of my song is, God, help God, I need to know what's going on. God, why is this happening? Why, why, why? The first part of my song is, God, I want you to fix this for me. I want you to bring resolution. I want you to to show the plan to me. And yet, what's the first part of Mary's song? I'm going to praise you. Even in the middle of whatever is going on around me, I'm going to praise you, Lord. It's the first thing that she does. The second thing she does in this song, she believes that God exalts the humble and scatters the proud. God exalts the humble and scatters the proud. Most of our anxiety about the future can be traced back to our pride. 
Most of our anxiety about the future can be traced back to our pride. Maybe it's the, the fact that we just want to be able to control everything. Maybe it's the pride of thinking that we should be able to control everything. Maybe it's the pride of thinking that we should know more than we do. The pride of thinking, I need to know what happens in the future. The pride of thinking that I know better about how this should work for me than God does. Or the pride of thinking I know better for someone else about what should happen in their life than God does. And so we approach our prayers that way. We approach our relationship with God that way. Thinking, God, I know this is what needs to happen. And so I'm going to pray and pray and pray that you make this happen. Instead of first starting with God, I I know that you're in control. Maybe it's the pride of thinking that what's best right now is a win for me. Instead of recognizing whatever else God might be doing in the world at the time. Maybe what's best right now isn't a win for me. Maybe what's best is for for there to not be a win for me because God's got something else that he's working on. That's a position of humility. And God exalts the humble. He scatters the proud, the people who think they should have control, the people who think their desires and what they want matter more than anything else. Those aren't the people that God blesses that God wants. He exalts the humble. He scatters the proud. And thirdly, Mary believed that God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. There are all sorts of beautiful promises in the word of God. We, we read one of them earlier during the worship service. God has promised that he will never leave or forsake us. He's promised to work all things out to good for those who love him. That neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And even in your darkest moments, your most discouraging moments, whatever valley you might be in today, when you feel discouraged and alone and hopeless, you need to remember that God always keeps his promises. And Mary does. And she gives us this beautiful song that provides for you and me this this template, really, of a beautiful godly response to times of uncertainty, to times of anxiety, times where there is a legitimate reason to be somewhat fearful, not knowing what's going to happen in the future. And then in the future, fast forward three months, she spent these three months with Elizabeth, John is born, she returns, and Joseph is there. We want to think about things from Joseph's perspective too. We've thought about Mary's perspective, let's talk about Joseph. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. You're a young man, with a bright future in front of you. You're betrothed to a beautiful young woman. You care about the things of God. You know the Torah well. What's more, she is a faithful young woman as well. She loves God. Her faith is strong. You're gonna have a great marriage together. She's gonna be an amazing wife. You've been working hard as a builder. I know we often think of him as a carpenter, but the word literally means builder and the building material of the day was stone. Some wood, but mostly stone. And so probably Joseph is chiseling away and hauling stones and setting them up and using wood for the the doorpost and the the roof materials, certainly, but mostly working with this heavy stone. And it's hard work, but it's worth it. It's all going to be worth it. And maybe he's putting a little extra work to earn some extra money to make sure that he can provide for this new family that he is going to have. And it's hard work and it's sweaty work, but he's thinking about one thing the whole time. It's going to be worth it because we're going to be married and this is going to be awesome. And then one day, after an extended trip with her relatives, she comes back and you learn, perhaps from her directly, that she is pregnant. How could this happen? How could she do this to you? How could she be unfaithful? What, what, what a betrayal. I mean, she was so godly and so pure and never in your wildest dreams could you have imagined her doing something like this. Now, of course, she says it's a God thing, which makes no sense at all. We all know how this happens. We know how this works. 
That's not an excuse you get to use. And so Joseph thinks she's either very confused or lying or something like that. What would you do? What would you do faced with that kind of betrayal? Matthew gives us the story from Joseph's perspective. Matthew chapter 1. If you're in Luke, just turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Let's read this together. Matthew writes, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to, to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, here's the thing. For Mary to have cheated on Joseph during this engagement period was considered adultery. And according to the law, it was punishable by death. It was punishable by stoning. Now, that wasn't often carried out at this time, but what certainly was, was disgrace and, and shunning. She would be looked down on by everyone. In fact, for Joseph, the best thing he could do at this point was to expose her as quickly as possible. Because if word gets out in this little village that his fiance is pregnant, then everyone is going to think that he was involved. So his character is on the line here. And if he doesn't get out in front of this story and set the narrative and make sure everybody knows he's not involved, then it could be a risk to his character and it could cause him problems and maybe affect his ability to marry someone else and to start a different family. And so the normal thing to do would be to make sure everybody knows I am not the father. I have nothing to do with this. And yet that's not what Joseph does. He was a righteous man. He was a good, godly man. He didn't believe Mary and that's understandable, I think, given the circumstances. It would take an act of God to make someone believe that this was a miraculous conception. But notice what Joseph did not do. He did not go around telling his neighbors and his friends about Mary. He did not make a big public show of this, even though maybe that was the, the better move for him to make for his own personal character and his own life. He didn't react with the proud rage of a hurt ego in this case, he actually took some time to think about how he could do this quietly and graciously and with respect to Mary, which is an amazing lesson for you and me. Joseph responded to bad news with kindness, to bad news with kindness. Now, how often do you and I respond with, with bitterness, with anger, with hurt, with rage. There's a phrase, don't shoot the messenger for a reason, because when we get bad news, we want to react to that. We want to react negatively to that. And yet Joseph reacted with kindness and decided, I'm going to make sure that she is not disgraced in all of this, even though I don't think I can be married to her anymore. I think you and I struggle, I'm sure, when we, get, when we get some news like this, when someone betrays us, how, how dare they? How could they do this? How could they say this? And we get outraged. But Joseph responds with kindness, even after thinking Mary has done something horrible. It certainly makes sense that God would choose this man to be involved with his son and raising his son on this earth, selected with Mary to be a part of the, the son of God coming into this world. There's one more lesson I want to share with you from Mary and Joseph. If we continue in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Matthew says, as he considered this, so Joseph took some time to think about this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. This is from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. What I want you to do is think about the gap of time. First for Mary, between when she gets the message from the angel Gabriel and the three months before she knows how is Joseph going to react. There is a period of time there that there must have been some significant tension and wondering what is going to happen next. At the very least, some temptation for that tension, some temptation for anxiety about that. And then for Joseph, Mary did not show up, give Joseph the news, and when an angel was right next to her to say, hey, by the way, this is legit. That's not how it happened. It didn't happen right away. The Bible says that Joseph took some time to consider how he could put her away quietly, how he could quietly break off this engagement without disgracing her. That means it didn't happen right away. I don't know what the period of time was, but there was some gap there between the delivery of the bad news and the resolution. And there was a gap for Mary between the delivery of the, not bad news, good news, but going to turn your life upside down kind of news, and finding out what Joseph was going to do about it. And the thing I think we can learn from this is that with all the challenges we face in our life, our tendency in the moment is to think, why is this happening to me? And God, how could you be doing this to me? And what is going on? And if I only knew what was going to happen, and we have to understand that, that with all of God's promises to never leave us, to never forsake us, these moments of resolution, they're always coming. God has promised to work all things out to good for those who love him. And so that moment is coming. The, the moment in, in Joseph's life where the angel comes to him and says, here's how this all makes sense. That was always coming, even when he got the bad news and had no idea what was going on. What an incredible thing for us to remember in the valleys of life that the resolution, the explanation, if we believe in God and his promises to us, it's coming. If only we can live life that way in the valley, recognizing that is coming, even in the, with the gaps in our understanding, all of this, not knowing what's going to happen in the future. God knows. From God's perspective, this is already dealt with. This is already taken care of. And we don't understand what he's going to do with it. We don't understand how he's going to teach us through it, what he's going to do in other people's lives through it. And maybe it's some pain for us that's going to be a blessing to others in some way down the road. And we don't, we don't get that right now. But it's coming. And if you trust in God, you know that he is going to work that out. So we need to live that way now. Maybe you won't get the resolution until a few days from now. Maybe you won't get the resolution until a few months from now. Or it could be years, or it could be eternity before you learn what was God really doing in that circumstance. But you can trust in what God is doing in his plans for you, just as Mary and Joseph did. And make the right choices, even when we have gaps in our understanding. I want to leave you with the three things that Mary said in her song. Three things that we need to choose to believe just as she did. The first is that God should be praised even in times of uncertainty. God should be praised. Even when we don't know what's happening, we don't know what's going on, there's, there's so much that we are concerned about and scared about and anxious about and fearful about, and understandably so. There's a lot going on in this world, and there's probably a lot going on in your life right now. But the first thing you should do is take some time today to just praise God for who he is. And then secondly, remember that God exalts the humble and scatters the proud. 
And when we try to take too much control of our life, when we try to say we know what's best over whatever God is doing, and that causes so much anxiety to well up within us, it's the humble that say, God, you are in control. I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said, even if I don't fully understand it. That's a place of humility instead of a place of pride. And finally, remember, God always keeps his promises. He has promised so much for you, and he will deliver on it, even if you don't know how that's going to happen. We can find comfort in those truths today. Now, there's one of the things that I want to share with you, because for those of you that have decided to follow Jesus, this is an important reminder for you. For those of you that have never trusted in Jesus, and you may be new to all of this, and you may not really even be sure what all I'm talking about here, you don't have that kind of rest, that kind of peace, that kind of hope, because there's a gap between you and God that's really big, and that gap is caused by your sin. The bad things that we do, the things that go against God's will, against God's character, the things that God can have nothing to do with create a gap between us and him, and we can go through life wondering, why is there this great separation? And why can I never seem to have peace with God no matter how many good things I do? It's because all the good things you do can't make up for the bad things you do. It doesn't work that way. We don't have the ability to do that. Why do we celebrate the Christmas season? It's because God came down to be one of us as a little baby that we call Jesus, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life with no sin without ever doing anything wrong so that when he dies as a sacrifice for us, he takes on all of our sin takes it away, including the penalty for that sin. But he doesn't just do that. That's great. But he also then gives us his righteousness. Nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else is righteous. Nobody else is perfect. But Jesus Christ not only takes away your sin, he then gives you his perfection so that when God looks at you, what he sees is the perfection of his son Jesus, not you and all of your sin. And all of your wrong. It's an amazing thing. This is not a great analogy, but it's the best I can think of. Imagine if you owe someone a million dollars and there's no way you're going to be able to pay that off. And someone shows up and says, okay, I'm going to give you the million dollars to pay your debt. You're free and clear. You're off the hook. You're not going to prison. And that, that's, that's wonderful news. But then imagine that there's incredible, an incredible gathering that you want to go to that's just life-giving and, and amazing. There's nothing you'd want more than, in the entire world than to get into this gathering. And there's a million-dollar cover charge. And the same person comes and says, I'm going to give you that million too. So not only am I going to take away your debt, but I'm also going to give you everything you need to have the best life you can imagine. Not just for now, but for eternity. It's not a perfect analogy. But if you replace money with sin and righteousness, it's, it's what Jesus does for us. He doesn't just take away our sin and the payment for our sin, but he also gives us his righteousness. Believers, in all the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season, don't forget the real reason we celebrate. It's not just because he came here as a baby, but it's because he died and rose again so that we could be free, so that we could be healed, so that we could be restored to God, so that we could have his righteousness applied to our account. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, today is the day to give your life to him, to trust in him, to say, I believe in what you did for me, and I want you to take away my sin I want you to give me your righteousness. If you want to do that today, you can do that by praying to God and and explaining that in a prayer to him and committing your life to him. And and if you have questions about that, I want you to see one of our prayer team after the service today. If you're online, you can can talk to us at efree.org slash connect and let us know there. We'd love to be in touch with you. 
Uh, if you're here on, in, in the building, anybody with a lanyard is probably a safe person to walk up to and say, hey, I want to know more about what Adam talked about today. I want to know what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? Let's pray. God, we don't deserve any of what you did for us. And this week, there's going to be a lot of good food, a lot of time with friends and family, and many wonderful things. But there's also going to be some people who are hurting, some people who are in in some real struggles right now, the storms of life. For some reason, the storms seem to come in, in pairs or threes, They overlap and things just all happen at once. Lord, would you touch our hearts right now and help us to remember what Mary seemed to understand as as just a teenage girl? That first of all, you are worthy to be praised no matter what's going on in our life. That we can praise you, that we can be humble and trust our life to you and that you will always deliver on your promises. God, I pray that for this whole community of believers here, that would be known among us, a trust in you, a faith in you, no matter what's going on in our life right now, that we could say the same things Mary did, God. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. Thank you for giving us a path, a bridge to be made right with you. Thank you for the ability to rest in the peace that comes from knowing you, even in the storms of life. God, we praise you today for everything you have done, for coming as our Emmanuel, for being God with us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.